Okay. I'd say let's get started. Good with me. Okay. okay. Thank you, everyone, for coming, and thank you, Rabbi Kohn, for doing this. Um, I know many people are stressed about the first time preparing Pesach, and really looking forward to hearing everything that you have to teach us. Um, hey, um, my plan is to stop every couple of minutes with question, to uh, allow for questions. Uh, I guess you could jump in, really, if you need to in the middle, but I'll try to stop every, at the end of each section just to see if people have something to say or a question to ask. Um, and my plan is, my goal is to um, speak about a lot of, uh, a number of different topics, um, a number of different topics that have to do with uh, making Pesach for the first time um, without giving all the fine details. All right. For example, when we're going to talk about kashering, I'm going to talk about a sort of a framework for kashering without actually talking about how to kasher every part of your kitchen. Um, I can't possibly cover everything about Pesach, um, but I will say that um, the CRC's Pesach Guide, uh, which of course we're proud of, uh, has lots of articles and lots of information. And so I'll, I'll direct you a little bit as to where to look over there to try to find those kind of answers. Or you could pop up with a question if you have a specific thing that you want to think about. Um, so the first thing, the first thing I want to mention is that is that um, making Pesach, especially if you've never done it before, is quite a task. There's a lot involved, a lot of work that goes into it. It's it's not uh, an easy, you know, everyday job that you used to. Um, and um, to make it successful, uh, and it can be done successfully, um, one big tool to that is to schedule and to plan. Um, and what I understand from people who've done it beforehand, I, I again, in my house, we made Pesach a number of times, uh, many times, and from others, is that to work backwards. And that is to say is, as we talk, you're going to hear <laughs> must happen on Erev Pesach. They must happen the day or the day, two days before Pesach. So if you pencil it, okay, those jobs have to be on those days, and then work backwards. What can I do a few days beforehand? What can I do even before then? Um, if you're really thinking about this, most, of, most people didn't know they were making Pesach until a few days ago. Um, but if you thought about it, you know, three weeks ago, there are even jobs that could have been done really early. You know, you could have um, bought a new suit or bought a piece of clothing at that time. Uh, or a hundred other things, a lot of other things that could have happened. But working backwards helps us um, pin it down and say, okay, so what has to happen in the last minute rather than everything being squished into that part of, part of making Pesach. Okay? Now, the first thing that most people have to deal with um, is cleaning their house. Cleaning their house is something that... Um, can be overwhelming when you think about it. You say, oh my gosh, think what I have to do. Even more so this year uh, when most people are not able to have help in the house. Um, People who otherwise would have been having people, you know, in the house um, who can help them out are not able to do that. And, um, and um, so we think about all these, all the, all the work that has to be done in order to try to help, you know, explain that or, put that into perspective, um, I'm going to try to explain why we're cleaning and what we're cleaning for. And hopefully that will help, you know, focus us on doing what's important um, so we can get Pesach done properly without doing other things that didn't have to be done. And that's as follows. Why do we clean our houses in order to make Pesach? What, what's the goal? What are we trying to accomplish uh, when we're uh, cleaning our houses? So, the, the simplest thing, reason is because um, we're not allowed to own chametz. Um, a, pers- a, a Jewish person is not allowed to own chametz. Well, if that was the only reason we were cleaning our houses, then there would be a simple suggestion. We could go to the rabbi, 
do mechiras chametz. Tell Rabbi we want to sell our chametz, and by selling our chametz to him, we wouldn't own any chametz anymore. That would be the end of it. Um, the chametz, the chametz would not be ours, and we would have solved the problem of uh, we would have no need to clean our houses. And in fact, there are many people um, who, in years when they're able to go away, that's what they do. They say, "I'm doing mechiras chametz. I sell all my chametz. I don't have to clean a bit." Whether that's the right attitude or not, excuse me, is something to talk to the rabbi about. But just just for the perspective of it is that, but when I'm at home, that doesn't solve the whole problem. Just selling my house for Pesach is not going to solve the problem. And the reason for that is because um, there's, a, there's another concern, which is if hummus is around, since I'm so used to eating pretzels and crackers and bread and everything else that I'm used to eating, then I may come to eat that hummus on Pesach as well. So if I'm going to be at home in a place where there is chametz around, the chametz has to be put away and put aside. Not only does it ha- not have to belong to me, but it has to be put away so that um, there's no chance that somebody will come to eat that chametz. So because so that so that is to say, if in the past years you clean not as seriously uh, because you said, well, I'm selling it anyhow. I'm selling my house anyhow because I'm not going to be home. This year when I am going to be home, then I need to be more careful about my clean. That said, um, we have to keep bear in mind, there are, as, as I see it, three conditions for what has to be cleaned. Um, okay, I, I should really, there's really another one. We only have to clean. We only have to clean places that potentially have chametz. If, for example, in your garage you never you never bring food, then you don't need to, you don't need to clean. If you if a uh, uh, couple is living alone and there's an empty bedroom that no one ever walks into that room, you don't need to clean that for chametz. But any place where chametz could go or does go at any time is the place that needs to be cleaned with three conditions. And they are. Let's think, we have, the three conditions have to do with what we're looking for. And they are as follows. First condition is, the thing we're looking for has to be chametz. Well, that should be obvious. You would think that would be obvious. Well, chametz means to say is something from made from one of the five primary grains, wheat, barley, rice, spelt, or oats. Um, and just about everything that's made from them is just about everything made is chametz. Okay, there's an article in the guide, in the CRC Pesach guide, called um, Will Foods Are Chametz? And that gives a lot of details about what is or is not, but the short version is things made from those five grains are going to be chametz. Now, there's another class of food, which is kidneys, corn and rice and beans and soy and a whole slew of other foods like that, which we don't eat. Ashkenazim do not eat on Pesach. Um, those foods, are, we don't eat them on Pesach, um, but those foods we're allowed to keep. And we don't have to get rid of them. So, um, whereas I have to make sure that there are no Cheerios in my house, um, I don't have to make sure that there's no rice checks in my house. Rice checks don't have any chametz in them. They're just they're just made out of kidneys, and I don't have to be worried about them. Now, within that group, um, there, there are most of the medicines and toiletries and cosmetics that we deal with are not edible, and they they're not treated as chametz regardless of what they're made out of. But some of them are. Some of them are considered edible, and therefore they're in this rule. Of, they are, if they're made of hummus, that there is what to be concerned about. Um, we have a list of a medicine list. Um, you could search on Ask CRC to look for other ones, um, and we you'd have to know which things are or not, uh, which of those items are or not hummus. Um, but many of them are going to turn out to be not concerned at all. They're going to be like pills and other items that are inedible, and you don't have to worry about them. Okay, and last within this group is that. Um, Pet foods, as a rule, are considered edible. And even though the pet is not Jewish and the pet is allowed to eat chametz, 
but I'm not allowed to own that chametz, and I'm not allowed to have any benefit from it, so I can't give it to my pet. So a person needs to be sure that their pet food is intact. Okay, for Pesach, we have an article about that. Also, in a Pesach chai, that had to identify which Pesach food is or is not okay. Um, so the first, our first condition is that the things we're looking for have to actually be chametz. If there's something that's not chametz or not edible chametz, that's not something you have to worry about. The second condition is the only chametz that I need to get rid of is chametz, which is either larger than the size of an olive, and he would call that a kazais, larger than the size of an olive, or it's in some kind of a form that somebody might eat it or they define it. So that is to say, um, if I have a Cheerio, one Cheerio under my, uh, on, in my house, or I have a uh, crumbs someplace, those things are smaller than, than, than an olive. You don't have to worry about those things. Those are not the things that the din requires us to get rid of. We have to sell them, um, but we don't, we don't need to get rid of them. The other side of that is, if I have something that's larger than an olive, but it's rolled up under a bed, and in, sitting in dirt in a way that it would never, um, that no one would eat it if they found it. It didn't have to become inedible. Just nobody would eat it where they defined it. I don't have to get rid of that either. And the third condition over here is that it has to be something that's reasonably accessible. Reasonably accessible means is I have to look under the beds and behind the couch, um, but I don't, or under a dresser, I don't need to move a refrigerator and I don't need to uh, get something that's underneath the washing machine. Those things are not at all accessible. And for those, the fact that I can't get to it on Pesach is not a problem. So, so to summarize here, um, we're looking for certain kinds of foods we're not looking for crumbs. We're not looking for things that are not hummus. We're not looking in places that are completely inaccessible. Um, so that is to say is, in, in short, what would a person do cleaning in order to make the house kosher Pesach? You would sweep, vacuum, or mop, basically the entire house or any place where um, food would come. You'd collect all the hummus that you're aware of and put into one or two places. Those are the places that are going to be sold to the, someone who's not Jewish. We're discarded. Um, any places that are going to actually hold food, like your refrigerator or your pantry or uh, shelving in, in your kitchen, those kind of things have to be wiped. Yes. Okay. Those have to be watched, wiped more carefully because food is actually going to go onto there. We can't eat even a tiny bit of hummus. Um, then in a cars have to be clean. A car and a couch, those have lots of, like, think about this seats of a car or a couch have places where food, significant amount of hummus could be sitting. Those need to be cleaned out of pocketbooks, purses, um, drawers, and things like that. Those only need to be cleaned out. But again, when we do our cleaning, what we're looking for is things that are hummus. We're looking for things that are of a significant enough size. And, and that's what we have to clean for. That's, but that's all that we have to clean for. We don't need to clean for more than that. Um, and so that, that's just a perspective on cleaning. Okay, let, let me pause here. If anybody has any questions on this last section that I just spoke about. Okay. I'll, I guess I'll keep on going. Um, okay. The, the next thing, the, the next step that, of, or the next, one other item that we have to face is, so we have to clean our houses and prepare them for Pesach, was um, the job of shopping. Okay. Shopping in primarily means for food, means other things also, but primarily we're talking about shopping for food. And the simplest reason why we shop, we have to do so much shop, food shopping for Pesach is because lots of foods need special hashkacha for Pesach. Lots of foods that I could, all year round, I could eat this brand of potato chips and come Pesach, that brand I can't use anymore because it's not kosher Pesach. I need to buy food that are a different brand. I need to buy different something special that is kosher Pesach. Um, 
So um, we have we have a shopping guide in the middle of our Pesach book. In the middle of our, our Pesach guide, it's right in the middle of it. It's four pages that fold out together. They give directions of which foods are or not chametz or, or need special hashgacha for Pesach. So the simplest reason is I'm shopping is because all those foods that need hashgacha for Pesach, um, I need to go find them. I need to go buy new ones of them. But the other reason, another reason is, even if I have something that is always kosher for Pesach, for example, you find out that a specific brand of coffee is kosher for Pesach without any special hashgacha, doesn't any special hashgacha, it's a smart idea to buy a new jar or a new container of that product because during the year, you know, you put things in all the time. Think of the sugar, you know, my house, we use domino sugar, which is kosher Pesach all year round, but we may put our, our, our spoon in in the middle of cooking and there might be chametz left behind. So it's a smart idea to buy a new package of even foods that don't need special hashgacha for Pesach. Um, so in, in shopping, um, you know, lots of shopping, certain amounts of shopping can be done earlier. It's not early anymore at this point. We're holding, you know, like a week before Pesach. Um, so there's all these different kinds of foods that happen. And some foods are the very last minute, like if you buy prepared foods, like, like you know, ready, like from catered foods, or we buy fruits and vegetables, but just about everything else is already today. You could buy today. Um, and when you buy, when you think about it, you have to pause just and stop and say, there are some foods that you might not think of. And unfortunately, people don't think of until the last minute, like uh, baby formula or a nutritional supplement for an el- someone who's elderly or a medicinal item or a pet food. So those are foods that are, those are things that also need to be made sure that cost the pesa. And it's worth it to think beforehand. And, and what happens if the thing that I need is not available? I have a certain medicine that I need to take um, that's not available as Kashla Pesach. Or I can't figure out if it's Kashla Pesach. I don't see it on the series list of whether it's Kashla Pesach. What am I going to do now? So uh, at that point, I need to look for an alternative or I need to speak to the rabbi or both. And the earlier we think of that, the earlier we think go through those items, the less hectic it comes in the last minute when we realize that we stuck, that we need to have something. Um, and then, so though I've been talking about food and certain food type of things, there's also other kinds of shopping, of course, that happens. Uh, clothing and shaitals and hats and all kinds of other things um, that also go into this also. Okay, I'm going to pause here again. Does anybody have any questions on anything I said so far? Okay, I'll keep on going. Okay, next step. And this is a step that happens closer to Pesach. Um, some people, it may be already happening. We're talking about kashering, um, if not in the next couple of days. And that is, why do we kasher things? We kasher because basically anything that was ever used for hot food or hot dishes or hot anything during the year, if we want to use that during Pesach, we need to kasher. We need to do a process to make sure that any flavor that was absorbed into that material or that counter or the plate or the pot or anything like that, that, that we remove all the chametz from those places before we use them for Pesach. So some of the basic rules of kashering, some of the basic rules of kashering are we can't kasher things that are made from ceramic or glass. So china and karel and mugs and drinking glasses, um, they can't be used for Pesach. They need to be, they can't be kashered. They would need to be replaced. We also can't kasher things with small little cracks and crevices and holes like a dishwasher or, or a colander um, or other certain uh, food processors that have lots of little cracks and crevices. We can't cash them either. They also need to be replaced or not used for Pesach. Uh, and one other rule is, one other rule is if we want to cash or something, we have to not use it before him for 24 hours. 
before we do the cash ring, we're going to have to not use it for 24 hours. Usually cash ring involves something to do with hot water, with very hot boiling water. And we, before we do the cash ring for 24 hours, we can't use it for anything hot. Uh, and the last rule is, we, as a basic rule is, you cannot cash ring anything on Pesach. All cash ring has to be done before Pesach. Okay? So we have our, <clears throat> we have four, <clears throat> four rules that I mentioned. Certain materials can't be cashered. Certain items have these small cracks and crevices or holes. They can't be cashered. We can't cashered things unless we haven't used them for 24 hours, and we can't cash on Pesach. Okay, so now when we, when we mix all these together, what tends to happen is most people will cashier their oven, their, I'm sorry, what did I say? Their oven, their stovetop, and their kitchens, and the kitchen sink. Those are items that tend to be able to be cashered, as well they're suitable to be cashered. And they're important to have. You're not going to replace your oven. So you're going to, those are, can be cashered and they're able to be cashered. Um, and those, as a rule, and counters as well, as a rule, those are cashered a couple days before Pesach. I'll talk about more about that in a second. Um, those items, people do cashier. Um, I'm going to not give the details of how the cashing is done. There's an article in our Pesach guide called Cashing Kitchen or something to that effect. And that gives the details of how to cashier. But as a rule, most counters and sinks and ovens and stovetops can be cashed and people will cash them. Not terribly difficult. We have we have a video about it also with one of our rabbis, Rabbi Eisenbach, showing how to cash a kitchen. And those parts are reasonably easy, easy to, do, to do. On the other hand, um, pots and pans, oven mitts and sponges are things that are not as easy to cash. Excuse me. And at the same time, they're, for most people, they're not so difficult to replace. So as a rule, people buy those special for Pesach. They have a set, separate pot of milk and inflation pots and oven gloves um, that they use just for Pesach and not for year-round. Um, and uh, the same goes for uh, plates. Those, as a rule, the you know china and plates cannot be cashered, so we have to be replaced. And silverware is something that it can be done. As a rule, you can cash your silverware, but it could be very uh, tedious to do all the silverware. So people go one way or the other. Either they have separate silverware for Pesach or they don't. Tablecloths and um, <clears throat> dish towels can be cashered as a rule, unless there's food that's like stuck onto them that can't be taken off. As a rule, they just need to be run through a hot wash in, in a washing machine, so it's easy enough to cash those. And that most people tend to yes, cash they do cash those things. Okay, so so I mentioned a whole bunch of different items that people do or don't cashier, um, and why we need to cashier. Um, and um, Again, we have a video and we have an article that explains how to do the, how to do the actual cash ring. One last thing to throw in, um, which is it's a little different for this year, but when if you buy new things for Pesach, new pots and pans and silverware or dishes, as well, they need to have tefillah scale. Uh, this year, for most people, that's not realistic to do tefillah scale at this point. Most of the kale mikvahs are closed. Um, even even going to the beach and the ocean is in most places here in our area are closed. Um, but that is something that needs to be done. The CRC was running a service. We did it today, and it's going to happen. It will be happening again uh, for people who have new dishes but can't table them. Um, there's a method for them to make it hefker in front of a desk. Um, you can speak to the CRC about when that's going to come up again. Um, but as a, if you have new stuff, then it does need to have to feel as well. Okay. Any questions on these parts? Okay. I'll keep on going. I have a question. Okay. Go ahead. Um, in terms of you said cashering countertops, mm-hmm. did you mean when you said that most countertops can be cashered? You mean they can be cashered, or you should cover them? Or okay, so yeah. I meant 
I meant is that most countertops can be kashered. We have a long list on our website, on our book, on our ask to of which counters can and cannot be kashered. Um, I will add to that is that there are even if they capture the counters, they cover the as some people do. And there are some people who have counters that cannot be captured, or they don't want to capture it. It's just too much of a hassle for them. So then those people must cover their counters that they want to use them for Pesach. Um, so those people are not capturing, they're just covering their counters. Um, and that's that for some people that's reasonable. You know, that that's that's the better choice, or they're stuck. They have no choice. They can't capture their counters. It's made from a material that can't be captured, and um, that's what they choose to do. Yeah, and just in terms of covering also, does the covering have to be something that you can't see the counter underneath? No. No, that's not important. No, it needs to just be a a separation, a physical barrier between your pot that you're going to put on the counter or your plate you're going to put on the counter and the actual counter itself. Um, And then it's just a matter of just durability. What's going to work? What's going to make it all the way through Pesach? Something solid enough that will make it through Pesach. Seeing through is not not make a difference. I see there are two people who wrote in questions here on, on the chat, in the Zoom's chat. Uh, one of the questions was, what's the difference between a dish towel and an oven mitt? How come I said you should, you should get separate oven mitts, but I said dish towel would you could cash it? That's a good question. And the answer is that really, in theory, an oven mitt could be cashered also, the same as a dish towel. However, because oven mitts tend to be right around food, they tend to have food that's baked onto them, that's stuck onto them, that's not going to come out in a, in, a, in a wash in the, in the machine. So the absorbed taste will come out, but there are going to still be pieces of food left on them. And if there are pieces of food left on them, you could wash them a hundred times. It's not going to help. If in fact, there's no food on there, then no problem. Then you can catch them like dish towels. Um, so that for that reason, why I said that most people tend to have separate uh, oven mitts for Pesach, but dish towels, they could be washed. But if, you're, if your oven mitts are clean, then that's fine. Um, the other question was uh, whether items that you buy in a, in a, a store owned by a Jewish person, like Kesher's um, uh, farm store, need to be titled. Um, the thinking is, I bought it from someone who is Jewish. I don't need to be titled. That's also a, a very good question. And the answer to that question is that if the person, if from the time it was created as a utensil, as in this case a Kiddush cup, it was a Jewish person owned it the whole time, it doesn't need to be titled. Um, but in when I bought, if, if at some point it belongs to someone who's not Jewish, then it needs to have tefillah. So when I buy a Kiddush cup from Kesher's farm, that Kiddush cup, the, the, the previous owner was Jewish. That's the person who owns Kesher Stam. But before that, the manufacturer was not Jewish, and it does require to feel. Okay, any other questions on till now? Up until I said till now. Okay, so let's move on. We, we've, I mentioned the idea that we need to, we're cleaning our house to get rid of comments. We're preparing, we're getting all the Pesach food that we need into our house. And we're kashering parts of the house in order to make the house pesedic. Okay, but there's there's now a step that's called that everybody calls switching over, which is to say, is at what point do we stop having chametz in the house and start having pesach food in the house? I, I don't mean to have physically in the house. I mean do we start eating pesach food? Which is to say, is um, in theory the nicest thing to do is wait until erev pesach, erev pesach, eat chametz till the very last minute, and then start eating chametz, pesach food. Eat chametz till the last minute, then start eating pesach food. But that's totally not realistic. Um, the house has to be kashered can't be kashered. You're not going to kashered on the Arab Pesach in the morning. The house, food needs to be prepared so you have something to eat come Pesach. So it takes time to eat food also. And you can't just do that in the last minute. So as a rule, people are switching over or partially switching over a few days beforehand 
as you get closer to Pesach, as a way of balancing people who still want to eat chametz and the needs to get Pesach cooking and preparing and even even just getting out the pots and pans that are Pesach, um, getting those out as we get closer to Pesach. So before I talk, talk about the actual, the kashrim is switching over, I'm going to point out that there's a bridge. There's something that, that can sit on both sides, and that is foods that are kidneys. This to say is, we can't eat kidneys on Pesach. But, but just like Hamad, we can eat kidneys till all day right before Pesach. And we're allowed to own kidneys. So at a point that when we stop eating Hamad, or stop eating Hamad in certain parts of the house, or however we're in the, in the process of switching over, it's perfectly fine for someone to eat rice and corn and beans and all the foods that are kidneys that we won't eat on Pesach, we could still eat those foods. And even if they leave crumbs and leave pieces behind, we don't care about that. It doesn't make a difference. So that's a food that we have what to eat. We're not yet eating Pesach food, but we're, don't ha- but we're not eating hummus. We're eating this in-between of kidneys. Okay, That's just uh, something that people will do as a way of cutting back or getting rid of their hummus and still having foods that are eaten that are not yet Pesach food. Now, the, 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 the switchover of the house tends to depend on when the kashing happens, and that doesn't necessarily happen at once. That, that is to say, you may kasher the fleshic side of your kitchen one day and the milchic side of your kitchen three days later because I need to do more preparation on pace on the chametz on the fleshic side of the kitchen and the milchic side, I don't need to do much preparation. I can wait until a few days later. So it's closer to Pesach. In the meantime, we could still eat uh, pizza on the milchic side of, of the oven as if that's tolerable in your kitchen that you don't have to switch over at once. So the way, the way it seems to me... Um, I don't know if everybody looks at it like this, but Pesach, the way I see the switching over goal is as follows. There are four days of the week um, the Erev Pesach, that could be Erev Pesach. Erev Pesach could be on a Monday, could be on a Wednesday, that's this year, it's on a Wednesday, or, or it could be Friday and Shabbos. Okay, so there are four days, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Shabbos. When, when Pesach is on Friday or Shabbos, that means is what tends to happen is most people that the Shabbos before that, they will eat, they'll still be eating chametz in their house, complete chametz in their house. Once Shabbos is over, once Shabbos is over, remember if Shabbos, if you just had a whole Shabbos, you haven't used most of, almost anything, hot, the whole, for 24 hours. So after Shabbos, you're ready to do your kashering. They do some kashering or much kashering right after Shabbos <clears throat> or on Sunday morning. And then they're set. They start working on Pesach food for the rest of the week, leading up to Pesach at the end of the week. The other extreme is when Pesach is on a Monday, then most people think, oh no, there's no way I could wait to Kasher till after that Shabbos before him. There'll be literally Erev Pes- almost Pesach by the time I'm Kashering. So most people will Kasher before Shabbos. They'll Kasher on Wednesday, Thursday um, as a way of uh, already having, be able to start working towards making Pesach food. And that Shabbos, they'll basically be eating Pesach food. And the challah or some few things that they have that are not Pesach, they'll eat more careful and controlled away from the chametz away from their Pesach dishes or pots and pans that they're using. And this year is the in-between year. Pesach is, start, Pesach is on a Wednesday. Some people will, will say, I'll kasher on the, right after the Shabbos before Pesach. And some people, for that, it'll be too late for them. They'll want to kasher before Shabbos and use lots of disposables or other things for their chametz and eat over Shabbos. Okay, well, in, in, in any of those cases, whichever way you work it out, that, that's something that needs to be thought through and say, how much time do I need in my preparation to actually do cooking and even putting out pots and pans and food into the house? And how much do the people in the house want to eat chametz if they want to push off this, all of this? They want to wait as late as possible before they do that. And that balance is, determines when you're going to be doing that switching over. Okay? 
Um, okay. Well, pause again. Any questions? Okay. I will continue on. Okay. Our next step is the actual day of Erev Pesach. Um, Erev, on the, on, this year, Erev Pesach is on a Wednesday. So that means it's on a Tuesday night, which is the beginning of Erev Pesach. On Tuesday night, we do Pedikas Chametz. But Pedikas Chametz means is we need to go to our house and check all the places where Chametz would be. When I say we look for Chametz, it's the things that I described before him. It's the things that are Chametz, not kidneys. They're the things that are bigger than an olive or some that might eat them. They're in places that are reasonably accessible. And we check our whole houses, our offices, our, our every place where we are, well, this year, no one's checking their classrooms, but every place where we, where we may have used Chametz, those places that need to be checked. Now, the thing of the Gemara is that they have to be checked thoroughly with a, with a light. In our case, we'd use a flashlight or, or traditionally with a candle. And we need to check all those places on that night of Adidas Hamid. Um, there are those who hope that that same halacha applies, even if we have a house that's been thoroughly cleaned and we basically know that there's no Hamid around. Um, and others say, if you did a really thorough cleaning, then you just need to do the, a good B'dikas Chametz in one room, let's say in the kitchen, but the rest of the house does not need to have B'dikas Chametz. That question is a question you need to ask your rabbi and say, Rabbi, excuse me, this is the kind of cleaning that I did. This is the kind of cleaning that I did for my house. Um, should I do a thorough B'dikas Chametz in the entire house, or should I just walk around and pick up the 10 pieces and um, skip and, and not do the serious full-fledged B'dikas Chametz? Um, there's an article in our Pesach guide about Pedigas Hamids, and a lot of the things have to do with Erev Pesach, but this question that I mentioned is something that a person needs to speak to their rabbi about which, for direction on which way to go. Now, the, the, um, on the morning of Erev Pesach, the morning that this year, that would be Wednesday morning, we're allowed to eat Hamids up until a certain time, it's called Hamids, the time when you can stop eating Hamids, um, and then um, an hour or so later is the time when we can't even own any more Hamids, um, so that means to say is if we can't eat chametz till a certain time, by that time we have to have our last, you know, bagel in the morning or whatever, a Danish. After which I can't eat chametz past a certain time. During that last hour or so, I have to get rid of chametz. That's when traditionally we would have burning of chametz. This year I don't know if that's going to happen, um, but traditionally that's when we do burning of chametz. Um, and the rabbi sells the chametz. The, the, the I, when I ask the rabbi to sell the chametz for me, I'm saying, please, he, I'm not selling it to him. I'm asking him to sell it for me. So he's selling the chametz right around that time also. And then there's a kol chamir, we say, which we say, all the chametz that we own is now hefner. We make a declaration. We do have to believe this chametz also. And um, that comes a certain time. Um, one other thing that has to do with Erev Pesach is that on years when Erev Pesach is on a Wednesday, like this year, we need a, an Erev Tavshilin on Erev Pesach, which is an Erev Tavshil is what allows us to cook. If Pesach is on a Wednesday, that means Pesach is Thursday and Friday. So in order to cook from Friday to Shabbos, we need a, something called an Erev Tavshil. Uh, again, there's an article in our Pesach guide about that. Um, so I need to make an Erev Tavshil. On years when Erev Pesach, on a, on a, Erev Pesach is on a Friday, then for the second days we need an Erev Tavshil. So this year, for the first days, we need an Erev Tavshil. That means that on Wednesday of Erev Pesach, we need to make this Erev Tavshil. Um, again, for directions, you can look in our Pesach guide. Okay. I'm almost done. I have two little, two more parts to go. Any questions on what I've said so far? Okay, off we go. Our last major thing that has to happen in order to prepare for Pesach is to get ready for the Seder. Um, the Seder is, a, of course, a, an amazing and huge event that goes on on Pesach. 
um, happens the first night, it'll be this year Wednesday night, and then this Thursday night of Pesach, uh, the second night of Pesach. And there's a lot of parts to it. Um, the, 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 aside from the actual Seder itself, well, in order to have an actual Seder itself, there's a lot of things that have to happen in order to get ready. Um, and uh, you have to just sit down and think, think these steps through. I'm going to mention the things that come to mind, of things that have to happen, but it's really a matter of, of sitting down with your Haggadah or sitting down and planning it out and saying, this is what I need to have. Some of these things I just have to have, and some of them I have to actually do the work like usually right before Pesach. Okay, things we have to have. We need to have wine and grape juice, depending on what you're going to drink at the Seder. Um, we need to have shmur matzah. For most people, that means they need to have hand shmur matzah. They have to have mar and karpas. Okay? All those things we have to have enough for everybody who's at the Seder. Karpas we need very, very little, but mar and matzah and wine and grape juice, we have to think of how many people are going to be at our Seder, how much do they need to drink, how much they need to eat, and make sure we have enough of all those things available. Um, we also need for each of the pe- people a Haggadah and a Kais and a pillow um, for those who do a Seba. Um, in some houses, everybody does it. In some houses, only the men do it. So we have to have a Kais and a Haggadah and a pillow for all those people to be ready for the Seder. And the person who runs the Seder is going to need a Kittle and a Kar or the Seder plate in order to run a Seder. Okay, so those are things we have to have. Those are things that don't have to be bought on our Pesach. They just have to be around. That's part of having things is making sure we have, say, hmm, I'm going to be using, let's say, romaine lettuce for the Seder. I have to make sure I have romaine lettuce in my house to, to have ready for the Seder. Okay? Then there's the things that have to actually happen to prepare for the Seder with these supplies that I have. And they are, um, if you're using romaine lettuce, as I mentioned, they need to be checked for insects. If I'm going to be using horseradish, then they need, it needs to be ground. Um, those jobs tend to happen. That tends to happen on Erev Pesach. Uh, I need salt water for karpas, and there's a custom to have eggs and salt water at the beginning of the meal, so I need salt water for those. Um, for my for my ka'ara, I need a zroya and a beitza. Zroya is the meat on a bone. Um, uh, beitza is, is a, an egg, and charoises, all those need to go on the same plate. Again, those tend to be done on Erev Pesach. Okay? For all the, now, that was, I mentioned a, a lot of things that have to happen. Um, we have a video on our website that explains how to make a Seder plate, all the steps involved, step-by-step of making all the things for the Seder plate. Uh, we have an article about it also, but there's a video about it uh, going through all the different steps of what has to happen and how to do those pieces. And the last thing that I'm going to mention is, uh, this is this is Pesach-related, is that there's a halacha that if a person, if a Jewish person owns chametz on Pesach and um, kept it for part of Pesach, that chametz is also it's called chametz of a Pesach. That that chametz cannot be eaten or owned or used by anybody after Pesach, even after Pesach. Which is to say, is that if I um, if I do my shopping every week in Hungarian, it's owned by a Jewish person. Since the people who own Hungarian are going to sell their chametz, then come after Pesach, I can buy chametz from them because they didn't own. That's a Jewish person. He didn't own chametz over Pesach. If there's a different store uh, owned by a Jewish person who does not sell the chametz, who doesn't get rid of it, then I'm not allowed to buy it. Um, as Pesach proceeds, either right before or after Pesach, you'll be able to find out from your rabbi uh, from the CRC, find out which stores have that concern, which ones don't. So, you know, we could shop. This is a Pesach halacha that stretches to after Pesach. Um, there's an article, again, um, towards the end of our Pesach guide about chametz after Pesach. Um, that's like the end of Pesach to carry on to afterwards. Okay, I'm finished with what I had to say. Um, are there any questions on, I guess, on anything or general questions um, anybody would like to bring up? Okay. Um, I have, sorry, one question. Oh, sure. Um, I know that in general... 
after Pesach, there's like different amounts of time you have to wait to shop in different places. Um, where does that come from? Okay, so the the rule is as long if the item that you're going to buy, it's a good chance that that item was owned by the Jewish person on Pesach, then you can't buy it. Basically, you can't buy it ever. So if you're going to a bakery that was owned by a Jewish person, then fresh baked goods don't, don't last more than a couple of days. So I don't know, a week after Pesach, you know that those weren't owned by the Jewish person over Pesach. But what if I buy something frozen? I go to a supermarket where they sell packages of crackers. Those last sit for a very long time on the store shelves. So then, the, the, then now it's a judgment of at what point do I say at this point, it's probably not something that the Jewish person owned on Pesach. So some people wait two weeks. Some people wait till like Barimer, which is about a month after Pesach. But that's, that's based on a judgment of how long does it take for the person to, um, for that produce, that product to have gotten through. What well, the only Pesach has gone and sold or eaten already. And what I'm buying is not from that. So it's a sort of a judgment of what that is. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Before I go, or before, I'll take other questions if you want. Um, but a lot of the, what I spoke about tonight um, in, is the seriously printed in written form, distributed in written form, um, just came out this afternoon. Um, so in case any of you want to just read up about it or pass on to somebody else, um, it's probably posted on the seriously website already, although I'm not sure. Uh, I for sure can pass it on to you, um, or you can speak to the seriously office and say, hey, you can get a copy if you'd like to see it in writing. Okay. Thank you so much, Rabbi Cohen. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great night. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you.